It is a fearful thing to live at cross purposes with our maker. In A.D. 42, a very strange thing happened. Herod, king of Judea, killed James the apostle with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews of his day very much, he arrested another apostle, Peter, and put him in jail. The night before Peter was to be done away with, an angel woke Peter, took him out of the prison, and let him escape to Mary's house, the mother of John Mark, where the disciples were praying for his deliverance. And after he checked in there, he left town. The next morning, Herod was enraged, and he killed the guards who were supposed to have been keeping Peter. And then he left town and went down to Caesarea. And in Caesarea, that coastal town beside Judea, a very unusual thing happened. It's told in Acts chapter 12. I'm going to read a few verses from there in a minute if you want to see those verses. Acts chapter 12. The people of Tyre and Sidon, those are towns further to the north of Caesarea, were dependent on Herod for their food. And Herod, for some reason, had a grudge against these people. And since he held the purse strings, he enjoyed very much not letting them get near to him so that they could make their case. It gave him, apparently, a great sense of power over these people that he didn't have to talk to them nor to give them what they needed. So the people of Tyre and Sidon set up a delegation, sent it to Herod, and tried to get at him through his chamberlain, Blastus. And it worked. They won a hearing. And a day was set when Herod was going to make an oration to the people and evidently addressed this issue of his relationship to Tyre and Sidon. Acts chapter 12, verses 21 to 23. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and made an oration to them. And the people shouted, The voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately... An angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and he died. It is a fearful thing to live at cross purposes with our maker. Not everybody who tries to deceive the Holy Spirit drops dead like Ananias and Sapphira. In chapter 5 of Acts. And not everybody who fails to live for the glory of God gets eaten by worms. But these several judgments are brought into this age as lessons for what will happen to everyone at the end of the age if we live at cross purposes with our maker and fail to give him glory. Last Sunday's sermon was taken from Isaiah 43, 7, and the point was God created us for his glory. The goal of God in creating and redeeming a people is that he might get glory, not that he might improve upon his deity or somehow increase the beauty of his manifold perfections. We tried to make that clear. The point is 
He made us to display the glory that he already has fully in himself and to win praise from his people for that glory. And Isaiah 48, 9 to 11 drove the shaft of God's glory deep into our minds. It goes like this. For my own sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not like silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. To preserve the honor of his name and to win praise and glory from men is the driving motive of everything that God does in history, in the church, and in your life and mine. Therefore, at the end of last week's message, two questions remained. How shall we bring our life into alignment with that goal? And two, how come it's loving and not selfish for God to seek his own glory when he tells us we shouldn't? I've decided to divide that into two messages and only address the first question today and the second question next Sunday. We had three small texts read to us at the beginning. Matthew 5, 14 to 16, 1 Peter 4, 10 to 11, and Romans 4, 20. I'm going to leave Romans 4, 20 for your own reflection. I think by the time we're done treating the first two little texts, it will be very clear how to apply Romans 4, 20. So we want to look at Matthew 5, 14 to 16 together, and then 1 Peter 4, 10 to 11, because the answer to question number one, if it's anywhere in the Bible, is here. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine that men may see your good deeds or good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Three brief observations about this text will, I think, show how it goes a long way to answering our question. Number one, Jesus clearly commands that the way to give glory to God is to have a certain kind of behavior, doesn't he? Live so that men will see your life and give glory to your Father. So glorifying God, we must be very clear, is not merely an act of worship on Sunday morning it is a way of life. It is a kind of living that people can look at and looking at have their attention diverted up to God and not to us. That's the first point. Second, in order apparently for our lives to bring glory to God and therefore be in alignment with his goal in history, we have to be engaged in good deeds. It's not so much by avoiding the gross sins that we glorify God. Rather, it's the active pursuit of good deeds, of acts of generosity, of ways of love and works of kindness. Since it's God's goal to glorify himself in history, and since Jesus says that happens through doing good deeds, we might expect that somewhere in the Bible it would say, the goal of God in redeeming a people was that they do good deeds. And I'll bet those of you who know your Bible well can think of one or two texts that say exactly that. Like Titus 
chapter 2, verse 14. Christ gave himself to redeem us from iniquity and to purify for himself a people of his own zealous for good deeds. Jesus died that we might do good deeds and so bring glory to our Father in heaven. God created us for his glory, says the prophet. We glorify him through good deeds, says the Lord Jesus. Therefore, we probably can also find a text in the New Testament that says he created us for good deeds. Namely, Ephesians 2.10. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good deeds. Created for his glory, created for good deeds, because through good deeds, he gets glory. It's very clear and very simple from Paul, from Jesus, from the prophets. One final observation now on Matthew 5. It's possible to be a kind of do-gooder, a kind of philanthropist, benefactor, who, for one reason or another, uses his or her money to alleviate suffering and not even believe in God, let alone do it all for his glory. And that creates a kind of problem. Can't just be merely good deeds then, can it? That gives God glory. When Jesus said, you are the light of the world, he didn't just mean the bodily motions through which you go in doing good deeds. He meant you, your attitude, your motive, the spirit that you exude in those good deeds. That's what it means to let your light shine. There is a way to do good deeds that will bring glory to God and doing it that way in that spirit will be the, the shining of the light that Jesus is talking about, which is why I entitled this sermon, How to Do Good So God Gets the Glory. Not just doing good so God gets the glory. Don't content yourself that you have done many good deeds in your life. It might be a pile of rubbish in God's sight. There is such a thing as works and Pharisaism. So we must ask the next question, which comes from 1 Peter chapter 4, 10 and 11. How shall we do good deeds? How shall we serve so that not we, but God gets the glory? So turn with me to 1 Peter 4, verses 10 and 11. Probably no other book in the New Testament besides the book of James reflects a greater acquaintance with the teachings of Jesus than 1 Peter. For example, in chapter 2, verse 12 of 1 Peter, you have a very loose quotation of the very text we've been looking at, Matthew 5, 16. It says there, Maintain good conduct among the Gentiles so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they might see your good deeds and give glory to God on the day of visitation. It's the same idea exactly as Jesus' teaching, because Peter, of course was a very close apostle. But in chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, we have probably the clearest word in the Bible about how it is 
we must do good deeds if God is to get glory. As each has received a gift, employ it for one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, let him speak as one who utters oracles of God. Whoever renders service, let him render it as one who renders it by the strength which God supplies, in order that in everything God might be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. There is no clearer answer in the Bible to the question how we shall serve or do good deeds so that God gets glory. And the answer very simply is for God to get glory in our lives, the good we do must be done in dependence upon the strength which he gives and not in our own. Not mere good deeds, but good deeds done in a spirit of humble reliance and joyful dependence on the provision of God. I want you to picture two people this afternoon. These two people are trying to decide whether to come to fact tomorrow night. Fun, all cleaning together. Going to clean up the church. Now, one of these fellows is a younger man, and he's strong and virile. Works a lot around the church, and he's pondering, now, shall I go or not to help? Oh, I suppose I'll go. Might be worth a few brownie points with the leadership. They might serve snacks. Uh, besides, I know how to do all that stuff really well. I can give a few pointers, and that's always fun. And so he comes, and he grumbles about the tools that are there. And he criticizes the way things have been planned. And he talks on and on about his experience and how he's done things and the way he would do it. But he works. He gets a lot done. Does a lot more than lots of other people. Gets a lot of corners. Spick and span. A lot of employers would go after that man because many employers are only interested in productivity and efficiency. God looks on the heart and his assessment of that man's contribution is this. I got no glory from that effort because it was not done in reliance upon me. It was not done in a spirit of humble trust and joyful acceptance of life and gift from me. Then there's another person. Now, this person's a little bit older this afternoon. He's worked a lot in the church, too, but now he's, he's been ill a long time. The knees are real stiff and give a lot of pain. Arthritis, I suppose. And he wants to come. He would love to come. He's always enjoyed working at the church, and he never made any big to-do about inconvenience or sacrifice or any of that stuff. He just was there, putting in the hours. And he says, oh, Lord, I would just love to be there. Maybe I could just encourage some of the downhearted. Maybe I could just keep the coffee warm. But it would be sure great to be there with your people in your house. And so he makes a special effort and prays. Just this once, let me wake up in the morning with no pain in these knees and I'll go. And lo and behold, he wakes up with no pain. He gets on the phone to Flossie, I'm coming down there. I'm going to do whatever you need done. And so he's there. 
And he works and he doesn't get so much done because they start to ache a little bit. But he's there with bells on and he exudes a kind of joy and gratitude for life. And everybody's attention through him is appointed to God from whom he has acknowledged receiving this help. His whole bearing and his whole demeanor exude that God is getting the credit for his being there and God is getting the credit for every little swipe of the rag or push of the broom. And that's what it means to let your light shine, not just to be there, right? But here's the hooker. Every single one of us is in that category, not just him. Every single one of us, all the strength we have is from God. All the fibers of our brain and our intelligence are a gift from God. Every piece of resolve that we can muster to do good is a gift of God. What do you have that you did not receive? Paul said to the Corinthians, if you received it as a gift, why do you boast as if it were not a gift? Why do you get haughty and arrogant and braggy? We are all cripples apart from the grace of God, and worse than cripples. Apart from his sustenance, we would degenerate into nothing or into devils without his grace. Oh, how differently we would serve and do good if it would once hit us with all its force, how utterly dependent we are on God for life and breath and everything. We would not boast in our achievements. We would not criticize the speck in our brother's eye. We would not grumble about inconveniences. And we would not be presumptuous as if existence itself could be taken for granted. It cannot, as we have just recently seen. A person who truly owns up to the fact that he exists by the word of God and that all his strength and moral resolve comes from God is going to be a humble and lowly and grateful and joyful person in all the good deeds that he does. And in serving that way, God and not himself will get glory. If you help a crippled man across the street, you get the glory, not him. And that's the way God is working with all of us. Now, I want to make sure, I want to really press to see if the image in your mind for the duty of glorifying God is a wrong image or a right image. Images, feelings are what govern much of our behavior, not just doctrine we can recite with our mind. You could all walk out of here this morning and recite with your mind the way to give glory for God is depend on his power and go right on bearing the load yourself because there is an ingrained image in your mind that it is a heavy duty. So let me try this. I want to contrast two people again who wake up in the morning very differently. One person wakes up in the morning like this. He wakes up. His eyes go into heaven and he says, God, you are worthy to be glorified this day. And I will do my best for you. And then he looks over to the bedstand where his Bible lays. And there on his Bible is a large gray lead cube, about eight inches square. And it is heavy. It's got two big leather straps on it. And he gets out of bed and puts one arm through one and the other arm through the other and gets it up on his back, buckles it down. And across the back of this block is 
the duty to glorify God all day long. Don't fail. And he walks out. I'm going to do it, Lord. It takes every ounce of energy I've got. I will do it for your sake. That's one image. But I hope you can see. I hope every one of you could tell me clearly right now, 1 Peter 4.11 will not allow it. Will it? It will not allow that image. It's a wrong image. And if it's your image, let it go. Here's the other person. I know this person and the way he gets up in the morning because he's the husband of my wife and the father of my children. This person, he wakes up in the morning and his eyes look into heaven and he says, Oh God, you are worthy to be glorified this day. But God, there is not in me that is in my flesh one good thing. I don't have the strength I don't have the moral resolve. I don't have the wisdom to see to it that you get glorified. Please. It would be my greatest joy. It would be my highest fulfillment. It would be my chocolate ice cream and my popcorn. If at the end of this day, dear God, I could believe that one person cherished your strength and love and wisdom more because of the way I lived. Please let it happen. And then he looks over to his bedstand, and there on his Bible, there's a strange contraption. Looks kind of like a harness, lots of straps and stuff. And he gets up and he puts his arm in one side and puts his arm in the other side and buckles it down. And on the back of this harness, there's this rope goes up through the roof into heaven. And uh, he leans into it and gives a little jerk, and God Almighty carries him and guides him like a puppet through the day. That's the image that helps me believe and live by 1 Peter 4. And as he goes out the door, you can see written across the back, my harness is easy and my burden is light. God gets glory When we do good deeds, depending on, leaning on, hanging on, trusting in Him, not in our own strength. God's will to glorify Himself is not a weight to make us sigh, but it is wings to make us fly.